0: Well, it's raining. I'm shocked that it's raining. Uh, Van told me, just to let you guys know, this mic has been chemically... He's gone over it. It's been fire and and everything else where it's no way anything could be on this mic. So, uh, just wanted to update you guys. Uh, I know we're a little thin this morning. It's understandable with everything going on. But you guys, uh, grab you these passports for the missions trip. Uh, We had a great uh, Connect conference the last few weeks. This is kind of tying a ribbon on it, wrapping it up. We want you guys to prayerfully consider uh, whether the Lord would have you go on one of these trips. Uh, The blue one is 2020, and that's uh, mission trips for this year, and they're mostly stateside. I think we have one going to England. Um, We have one going to Alaska. Uh, But then 2021 are ones that uh, are a little further out, and that's for next year with uh, I I think we're going to uh, Belize. Some overseas trips, so you guys pray about that. Uh, I know the as far as right now, uh, the ones coming up in June, July, they're still a go. Uh, I'm leading the Alaska trip, and uh, me and my team we're praying about it the next two weeks. We're still on for now, and we're just going to see what happens over the next two weeks and make a decision. You know, as far as the virus is concerned, if that's something the Lord would have us postpone or not. But right now, everything's still a go, and even moving forward, there's a lot of trips here that are passed. And we know this virus isn't going to last forever and some of these things take some time to plan so be praying about that pick you up one of these passports and uh and we're looking forward to taking some trips where we can uh, we can grow together on them thanks
1: morning choir morning everybody you can pick where you want to sit today And good morning to those who may be watching online this morning um, just want to let you know up front that the elders will be meeting uh, after the service and just kind of, you know, talk about what's going on and, uh, you know, a direction that we may need to head over the next couple of weeks. Um, One of the things that um, the Lord has reiterated in my mind is that while this coronavirus is a surprise to everybody around the world, it's not a surprise to him. And so he's in control, and we're trusting him. And At the same time, I think the Lord has given us, hopefully, common sense. And uh, if you're sick, stay home. You have permission to do that. Um, and, uh, but we're going to pray about what the Lord wants us to do, and you pray for the elders as we make those decisions, um, that um, it would be what's best uh, for the body here at Grace. I wanted to read some scripture this morning to start us out. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read from Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Listen to these uh, words. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, he says, acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths or make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Wouldn't it be nice if that was the result of this virus? That our country would fear the Lord and turn away from evil? He goes on to say, It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth. And from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Let's pray together. Lord, we just want to thank you for your word and we thank you um, that... You have not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but Lord, of power, of love, of discipline. I pray that we would um, continue to walk in your ways and during this time of um, uncertainty around the world that that Christians would um, take the opportunity to um, share the gospel because ultimately, at the end of the day, every person will spend an eternity in either heaven or hell. And so what an opportunity we have to represent you and your word and the gospel. I pray that we would do that faithfully, that as you give us opportunities to connect with others, that we would um, faithfully share the gospel unashamed of what you have done in our lives. And I thank you for the wisdom of Solomon as he wrote the words, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. So I pray that we would allow you to direct our paths each day as we walk to your glory. In the name of Christ, amen.
2: His praise, the praise that belongs to him. And no matter what happens, we hear the rain coming down and everything. No matter what happens, we give him praise because he is still the Lord of this universe and the creator of all things. And we praise him no matter what happens. And let's just do that this morning. A song that we've sung several times. May the peoples praise you. So we're going to ask you to stand and let's do it together, Okay. be able to be together to praise the name of Jesus. Even when things are not the, exactly the way you want, them, but we can do it. Let's <laughs> just praise the name of Jesus. He's our rock and he's our fortress. Let's sing this together. Praise the name Rejoice, because he is the king. Rejoice, the Lord is king. Rejoice, Rejoice, the Lord is king. I love it. Let's take a little time just to let him know how much we love you. Let's pray together, may we? Father, if ever, if ever we loved you, Lord, it's now. God, when we are able to come together as your children, to call you Father, to lean on you, to get guidance, to get direction. Lord, when the world seems to be in turmoil and far from the way that we would desire it to be. God, we know that you are there. And, Lord, you are there to take us and hold us and lift us up. So, Father, we've come this morning to lift you up, to praise your name, to honor you, because you are our Father. And we do love you, Lord. We love you that you wore those, that, that crown of thorns on your brow. Lord, we will love you when we're not here anymore, but we are with you. And when we're standing before you and we're wearing our crowns, the crowns that we do not deserve, but, Lord, we will be wearing them. But we love you, we will praise you, and we will honor you. So, Lord, thank you for this time that you have given to us that we would be able to come together and do that. So, Lord, as we continue in our time together, God, I just pray that you would just uh, open up our hearts. Father, I pray that, uh, that your spirit will uh, move from person to person, Lord, and open our hearts and teach us and remind us of who you really are. God, thank you again. These things we pray in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
3: Despising all the shame That afternoon when midnight fell Your suffering cleared my name And that sin swept hill became The open door to paradise because you paid so high a price you paid much too high a price for me your tears your blood the pain to have my soul just stirred at times yet never truly changed you deserve a fiery love that won't ignore your sacrifice because you pay so high oh price. Your grace inspires my heart to rise above my sin. And all the earthly values that seek to draw me in. I want to tell this jaded world of a love that truly saved my life. Just stern at times, yet never truly change You deserve a fiery love that won't ignore your sacrifice. much too Sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. You
4: deserve.
3: won't ignore your sacrifice
1: That was fantastic, David. Praise the Lord. I'm glad the Lord gives people the talents that he does. Um, I would have had a stroke or a heart attack if I would have had to try to get that high on a note. That was incredible. Um, We do appreciate those that minister to us through song, and um, so thank you again, David. Yesterday, I was reminded about how much I just love umpires. Playing the game, I gotta tell you the story. We're playing the softball game, and I'm the head coach, and I have 11 junior high and high school girls, <clears throat> and that's a whole nother story. But the ball is hit down the left field line, and if my left foot is the, the foul line, the ball hit where my right foot is. The girls running around the bases, two runs score. And he calls when the umpire points to the field, it means fair. And so remember, I mean, I'm having to remember who I am and all that kind of thing. And I walked up to him and I said, sir, that was a foul ball. He said, it sure seemed fair. (laughs) I said, well, it may have seemed fair, but it was foul. And I walked away, and I thought, wow, I hope that doesn't happen again, because I'm not sure how much grace is truly going to be extended. Well, the Lord has given me a great opportunity to coach those girls. Um, There's 11 of them, and every day uh, that we practice and play, myself and Gina Roberts and another lady, we get to speak into their lives. And the Lord gives us opportunities to speak into other people's lives. And we need to take those opportunities to do that. It's interesting that we're going to a book where there was a man who spoke into the life of another. I want you to take your Bibles and go to Second Timothy. I'll be telling you for several weeks to go to Second Timothy. This book really fits well with the conference that we just had. The conference was great, by the way. I really enjoyed every aspect of that conference. Um, appreciate those who put it together. Um, and the theme was connect. In fact, I hate that those little stand-ups are gone. I really wanted those to stay up. Because this, this book that Paul writes to uh, Timothy, the word connect fits so well. So if we can relocate those things... That would be great to have those up. Because what Paul is doing here is writing a letter to his understudy. That's what he's doing. And in the book, we're going to find out that not only is Paul connected to his Savior, but he's connected to Timothy and to other believers. And as I was studying through the book, I'm like, wow, that's such a great theme. You know, even though it's not the primary theme, it's a secondary theme. And so as we go through the book of 2 Timothy together, I want you to think about the word connect and how important it was for Paul in the context of the passage. How important it was for him to have connected to Timothy and to connect to Timothy through this letter. Then how important it would have been for Timothy to connect to others as Paul's going to talk about that very issue. Back in 1996, the Olympic Games were held in Atlanta. You guys remember that, those of you that were alive? There's some kids here that weren't alive in 1996. All week long, there was one question that hung in the air. Would he or wouldn't he? Some said yes, most said no. The debate raged across the country. He's one of the fastest American runners, but he didn't practice with the team. And so being on the team wouldn't be fair to the man who he would bump off the team. But who cares, was the cry. Just win. Just win. But in the end, Carl Lewis didn't run the 4x100 relay in the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. America, if you remember, came in second to Canada. We don't like coming in second, do we? No, we don't. The question became would it have made a difference if Carl Lewis would have run? what's interesting if you go back and you look at that four by one race you'll find this that the exchange between the second and the third runners was botched just a split second I don't know how much you know about relays but when they take that baton to make that pass off it has to be smooth okay so if you're running toward the person you're going to pass it to, that person's already starting in their lane. All right. Next time the Olympics happens, which is this summer, if we have them, you can watch that. But as they come here, they have the baton, and they're, the runner that is up here is putting his left hand here back to receive it. And it has to be smooth, just a split second off, and it can cost you the race. There has to be a smooth exchange. So as I began to think about that, I thought, that's exactly what's going on in 2 Timothy. Paul is running out in front to hand the baton off to Timothy. And Timothy has to be ready to receive the baton. And As I thought about that, I thought about the church today. Are we running to pass off the baton? Do we have somebody ready to receive the baton from us? Is that important? Absolutely critical. You know what I see in the church today? Two problems with that. Number one, I don't know how many people are committed to passing off the baton. And I don't know how many people are ready to receive it. Because when I look at Second Timothy, you talk about two, at least one guy that was all in, it was Paul. He was all in. And you talk about a guy who wanted the other guy to be all in. Paul wanted Timothy to be all in. Why? Because he's about to die. And he knows it. He knows it. Chapter 4, verse 6, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. He's about to depart and be with the Lord, which he says is the greater thing. Which it is. You know, the way people are handling this coronavirus, Christians at least say, listen, if it takes us, it takes us. He has our days numbered. I got no idea. I might even have it right now. I have no idea. Look at these eyes over here like. I don't know. But I know this, the Lord is in charge of my days. And there's a greater theme for the Christian." And Paul talks about that, right? He knew his time of departure was at hand. He needed somebody to receive that baton. And he wanted that to be Timothy. And so I want to take you through this morning kind of an introduction to the book so that you can have an opportunity this week to read the book. I'd love for you to do that. I know that you have your devotions and readings that you're doing, but I would love for you to take some time and read through 2 Timothy so that you can see the things that we'll be discussing and talking about. There's some initial observations that I want to um, share with you this morning. In your notes, you should have those. The inserts were in the bulletin. Um, Just a few initial observations. This is uh, Paul's final letter. Um, His last words, if you will, from the apostle. Last words. Um, Last words tend to be heard very well you ever spent time with somebody when they're literally about to pass and they have maybe final words that they say Um, D.L. Moody back in 1899 on December 21st cut short a crusade and he returned home and he was very ill and this is what he told his family in his, fi- his final words to his family. He says, I'm not discouraged. It's hard to put yourself kind of in that mind of when, when what am I going to say if I have opportunity? What are my final words going to be? Um, he says, I'm not discouraged. I mean, he shouldn't be. To live as Christ, to die is what? It's game. Let's say that again. To live as Christ, to die is what? It's gain. Sometimes, sometimes I'm not so sure it's thought of that way. He says, I want to live as long as I am useful. That's a pretty, pretty good thought. And I think knowing what I do of reading about D.L. Moody, when he says useful, he means useful to the Lord. that's the mind but when my work is done i want to be up and off he said the next day moody awakened after a restless night and in careful measured words he said earth recedes heaven opens before me and his son will concluded his father was dreaming (laughs) he said no this is no dream this is no dream will it is beautiful It is like a trance. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me and I must go. Those are great words. He had an eternal perspective. Which in the New Testament, Paul encourages us to live with that perspective. Set your mind on the things above. Not on the things that are on the earth. Where Christ is. Right? That's where the focus is for the believer. That's where the focus was for Paul. His focus was on the work of the Lord and passing on to the next person everything that he knew about God. To pass on to Timothy the faithfulness of serving the living God. And as you read 2 Timothy, my friends, he finished well. I've often thought that it would be interesting if we knew exactly when we were going to finish the race. (laughs) But we don't know, do we? Death can come knocking at any time. So we live as if we're going to finish the race today. How does that sound? That sound Okay. I think that's the way the Lord wants us to live. That we might finish the race today. Because there are surprises. We don't know. We're not in control of when we die. Man likes to think he is, but he's not. The Lord is sovereign over all. So these are Paul's final words. Um... To a man that he had already invested in heavily, a man who was a pastor at the church of Ephesus who already had influence and impact on others. Here's my question for you, who's going to take that baton from you? You thought about that? Who's going to take it from you? You say, well, that not that just the responsibility of the, of the leaders? No, 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 no. All of us have responsibility to live to the glory of God. To live our lives separated from the Lord. And so, that being said, who am I influencing? Who am I going to pass the baton to? How in the world do I find somebody who's willing to take the baton? Boy, and I tell you, there's a lot there to think about. One of the things that really, for me, is a little bit discouraging and a little bit troubling is that there does not seem to be, in some of the younger generations, as many people living with conviction as there should be. Just being honest. That concerns me. Because living with conviction means this. If we're going to hand off the baton to somebody, they have to live with conviction. Conviction that this is ultimately the answer. That they're willing to stand on it no matter what may come. In fact, you're going to find that that was Paul's concern. Doctrine is important. That we stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have to live intentionally, don't we? We live intentionally, and then we hand it off. And Paul talks about it in terms of entrusting the things that we've learned to those who are faithful. So these are Paul's final words to the apostle. I mean, to uh, to Timothy. Secondly, we see Paul's understudy seems to be in Ephesus. Um, you can read through that. The context and the context of the passage. Um, there's evidence within the book itself that. Um, Timothy was at Ephesus, that his mind was that he would send Tychicus to uh, Ephesus so that Timothy could come to him. It's interesting to see that there's a man here uh, mentioned in 2 Timothy that probably would not make our top ten list of people that we know from Scripture, but Onesiphorus seemed to be really important to the Apostle Paul really important to the apostle paul and we're going to see that in just a few moments so paul longed to see timothy he wanted to see him and so in order to see him i think he made arrangements for tychicus to go to ephesus so timothy could come to him and hey if you're investing in somebody and you know your death is imminent you want to see that person face to face So we have a man named Paul and an understudy named Timothy. And Paul's desire is that not only Timothy would grab onto the things that he had taught him, but he certainly had a desire to see him. Um, this letter is filled with what I call raw emotion. In fact, the examples that I give to you just come from chapter one. I think sometimes we look at the life, some may look at the life of the Apostle Paul and think, well, was he a really, was he human? Yeah, he was human. Um, People kind of tend to put him on a pedestal and go, wow, he's just a different kind of guy. And he was a different kind of guy. He was really sold out, but he was human. He was filled with emotion, just like we are filled with emotion. In fact, the examples I told you, that I gave you, are just from chapter 1. Look at some of these things that he says. I constantly remember you in writing to Timothy, he says, in my prayers night and day, longing. The idea there of that picture of longing is he just can't wait to be with him. Isn't that how it is for husbands and wives every day? Can't wait to be with my wife. I can't wait to be with my husband, right? Right? Well, there's one that's not in the doghouse. That's the idea. He longed to be with him. He says, even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. In verse 15, you're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me. That little phrase, turned away, speaks of abandoning a former relationship. It speaks of abandonment. Some had left him. In fact, the majority had left him. By the way, he wasn't staying at the Marriott when they abandoned him. We're going to look at where he was in just a minute. They turned away. You ever had that happen in a relationship? Where somebody turned away from you and just walked away? How's that? That's rough. I've had that happen. You long for what? An explanation. Don't you? You know what's interesting? <laughs> when you consider where Paul is and he's wanting Timothy to come to him. If you're Timothy, on the one hand, you're going, what, dude? What are you talking about? I mean, look where you are and look what's about to happen to you and you want me to come join you? You know what's awesome, though? We may be abandoned by people that are right next to us, but there's one that will never leave you, and that's the Lord. He'll never leave you. And you know what's awesome? He'll never forsake you. And then, verse 16, it says, The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. Is that not just the coolest name? For he often refreshed me. Now, that, pic, that word picture there of refreshed is interesting. It pictures a cool breeze or fresh air that's what happens in the fall right after after a long hot summer which we could go for right how many of you could be all right with it just doing that right this i'm okay with right now but after a long hot summer what's it like when you walk out the first day that it's really fall here which only lasts about 5 days but when you walk outside you're like whoa that listen We actually had fall when we lived in New York. We had fall. Now, the fall lasted about five days, too, up there. And then came winter. But those five days that it was fall, it was incredible. You walk outside, and you're just like, ah, you feel like a new person, right? Just the wind hits you, the air hits you in the face, you're like, yes. That's exactly the picture. (laughs) Onesiphorus was like a cool breeze. To Paul and notice what he says and he wasn't ashamed of my chains in fact you know how it reads in the amplified it reads this way Onesiphorus embraced me like fresh air you know poor, poor guy he doesn't get talked about a whole lot he's not all over the scriptures but was he important to the Apostle Paul answer yes And here's here's the mindset of some in the church, and this is unfortunate. I want to relieve some of you of this mind today. Well, I'm not as important. Wrong. That's a message from Satan. You're important in the body. I mean, have you read 1 Corinthians? Everyone in the body is different. Some of you are hands. Some of you are feet. Some of you are arms. Every single person in the body is important. So every single one of us have to take up the challenge that we're going to continue to grow in our faith and that we're going to hand that off. We're going to pass it off. By the way, I think that starts at home. That starts at home. Starts at home. You got to hand it off to your kids. Because you know what's going to happen to your kids? You're going to hand it off to your kids when they're young. When they're 13 or 14 years old, they're cutting you off. All of a sudden, you just got dumb. You don't know a thing. And guess what? You know, the one thing that I wanted for my boys when they got to be teenagers, another man to invest in them that was godly. That's what I want. I still want that. And they're older. And they're out of the house. Almost. Praise God. Wednesday night, we have this little team time that uh, the youth lead. They're going around and sharing, and they share, like, something positive and something negative in their week. Say so that? The high and the low. So anyway, they go around, and it's my turn. He said, Pastor Dad, what's, what's your high and low for the week? I said, well, my high is my kids are out of the house, and my low is I have the Coronavirus. There was a girl sitting next to me that was a visitor. She's like. (laughs) But you see the importance of this guy. He often, often refreshed me. That's what Paul's testimony is. So this book is filled with emotion. You go to chapter 4. I just mentioned it a few minutes ago. Paul says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Fourth thing. That I observe is the letter reveals Paul's concern for the church. How many of you are concerned for the church today? We're small in number today. Now you're going to have to shout because the guys are going to yell at me afterwards. Why are you concerned for the church today? What's on your mind? Why are you concerned? Apathy. Apathy. We could just say that one about 20 times. Apathy. What else? Huh? false. teaching. Ineffectiveness. Yeah, That the gospel
2: won't be proclaimed to
1: the next generation. Yeah, that the gospel won't be proclaimed to the next generation. And you know, you see that here in this letter. I mean, Paul's about, we're going to see it in a few minutes, one of the key verses here. Guard the treasure. The treasure is what? It's the gospel. It's what we have. It's what we hold on to. I mean, Jesus Christ didn't, he made it pretty clear in John 14, didn't he? I am the way, the truth, and the life, period. Somebody said something else. Lack of discernment. Compromise. Compromise. That's a big one. Yes, reliance on emotions instead of the word, my goodness. No biblical knowledge. Outside influence. You guys should have just come visited with me in my office this week. We could have written this all up. These are great points. Compromise. Disunity. You know what's interesting is Paul deals with all this stuff. I mean, this is not like we're walking around going, gee, I wonder what God wants us to do with this issue of unity. He deals with it. This issue of compromise, we can't compromise. I mean, what does Paul say in chapter 4, 2 Timothy? Preach the word. He didn't didn't give me any other directive. He says, give him the book. Because who changes lives? The Spirit of God changes lives through the word of God as it's being preached and it's being taught. I just gave you a couple of verses here that reveal the concern that Paul had. The things, he says to Timothy, chapter 2, verse 2, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. That's interesting. So it's not just him saying, hey, listen, when you and I had this convo together, he's talking about in the presence of many witnesses. He says, entrust. And that word entrust means to place before someone. To place before someone. Entrust these to faithful men. Notice he doesn't say entrust these to men. He says what? Faithful men. Guys, listen. You and I have no idea about the future other than we know that the Lord holds it. We don't know what's around the corner other than we know the rapture's the next thing on the calendar. But we don't know the hours and the days before it, all the things that are going to go on. But what we do know, I think we need to take a hold of. What we do know is I need to invest and have invested in my sons. Did I do it perfectly? No. I got one here to tell you that. But my intention as a father... Was to always talk to them in terms of the way the Lord sees things, not the way I see them. And trust these, he said, to faithful men. Um, How many of you ever have heard of Harvey Pinnock? Harvey Pinnock? I didn't think so. Um, He was a teacher. He was a golf teacher. You're like, yeah, right. Dad. You'd find a golf illustration. Hey, it was just right there. I just picked it up. So I was, I was scrolling trying to find, you know, something about faithful men. And here comes this illustration. I'm like, it's a great one. He died when he was 90 years old. What's interesting was his commitment. This, I found this to be very interesting. Although his books literally sold millions of copies... He was remembered for his direct impact on people. And instead of having like uh, seminars where he would teach a bunch of people, his investment was just one at a time. I thought that was very, I mean, i like, that's biblical. That's awesome. Um, if you've heard of these golfers, he invested one-on-one with Tom Kite. He started investing with him when he was 13 years old. And then, one of the best putters who's ever putted, he started investing in Ben Crenshaw when he was six years old. Now, if you know anything about Ben Crenshaw and Tom Kite, they won a lot of tournaments. But his preference, and he told this, his preference was to teach people to play golf, not groups of people, but one-on-one. You know, you can get a lot done one-on-one, can't you? Maybe that's why discipleship's kind of scary to people. Maybe it's, man, if I get in a group, I can hide, <laughs> right? If I don't want to say anything, I will not have to say anything. If somebody asks a hard question, I can go, you know, like let's say you had an example here of six people in a group, and you're going to come together once a week, and um, hey, talk about your quiet times this last week. And maybe you didn't have one all week, and you're going, oh my goodness, hurry up, hurry up, clock, hurry up, we got to go. But if it's one-on-one and somebody's looking at you and saying, how's your quiet times this week? Right? I mean, there's a little more in-your-face kind of pressure. So I think it is. It's a pressure. because But it's a good pressure. Because all of us need to be in the Word of God daily. Right? That's how we grow. So I like the emphasis that, Harvey had, it was one-on-one. That's exactly what Paul had done. He had invested one-on-one with Timothy. He wanted him to carry on the work. Um, So he says, entrust, Paul does, he says, entrust the things to faithful men. But then notice there's another verse there from chapter 3, verse 1. And he's given Timothy and the church a warning. He says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. I think we could argue that they're here. They're here. I mean, if you read some of those words, the descriptive terms he uses, we are living in it right now. And when we come to it, we'll talk about it. But we're living in it right now. Disobedience to parents. Well, he said that's always been here. Yeah, but boy, I tell you what, it's it's being painted pretty incredibly these days. I've actually talked to kids face to face and they've said yeah to me and I say it's yes sir and they're like my mom and dad told me I don't have to say that and I remember telling one little boy who I love um your mom and dad might not make you say it but I'm telling you you need to show some respect see the issue is respect that's why you have in homes today kids raising parents say, what? It's happening. Whatever the kid wants, he gets. From what I can read in the scriptures, which that's what I'm going to land on, the father is the head of the home. Right? That's what it says. And he has a responsibility to do what? Invest in his children. You know, it's interesting, you know what's absent from Ephesians six, it doesn't say, "Mothers teach your children." He says, "Fathers." I remember Teresa told me when we first had our children, she was like, "Look, I got them till they're 12, and then you can have them." <laughs> Smart mama. The last days, difficult times will come. They're here. Fifth point, interestingly, the word connect fits very well when discussing Second Timothy. (laughs) So I'm like, you know, I know these guys came up with this theme, and I'm like, it just fits. It just fits. Notice in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul's primary connection was to who? Jesus Christ. And that's the question for all of us to consider this morning. Who is your primary connection to? Is it to Jesus Christ? Isn't that an important question? Answer, yes. If you're going to disciple someone, you need to ask them, who's your primary connection to? It's to Jesus Christ. It needs to be. Otherwise, you're going into the discipleship like this. I mean, right from the very get-go, right? We look at these greetings and we go, well, it's just a standard greeting. Baloney. What's Paul doing? He's identifying himself right away with who? I'm a messenger of Jesus Christ. That takes us back to the book of Acts and the responsibility that God gave to Paul as an apostle. He's a messenger of Christ. you ever thought about that, that we're messengers of Christ? <laughs> you know, when I think about that, I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And then I think about it again, and I go, oh my goodness. That's heavy responsibility. Paul's secondary connection, and he had many, but in this particular letter was to Timothy. Notice the affection that he shows here to my beloved son. We'll talk more about that next week. As you're going to see, and as you've already seen this morning, there's connections all over the place. Paul has a connection to Christ. He has a connection to Timothy. He has a connection to Tychicus. He has a connection to Onesiphorus. He has connections. And by the way, I know I mentioned it earlier kind of in humor, but these connections we have, they're watching us. I said it in relationship to a softball team. You know, when I went out there and told that umpire, and I said, It might have seemed that way, but it was foul. I have to be careful, don't I? Yes, you can shake your head yes. I do, because 11 girls are watching me and Gina and the other coach. And the parents. And the other team. Was it wrong for me to go talk to the guy? No. I didn't yell at him. I just said it may have seemed this way, but it wasn't. And then I told them, I said, boy, it's a good thing I know the Lord is my Savior. Woo! All right, guys, we'll end with this next part today. But I want to show you this because I think this is such a critical point. I want us to look for just a minute at the place of writing. Where did Paul write from? Like, right, if we're really going to understand, I think, in a better, with a better frame of mind, um, a letter. Like, if if we were reading 1 Corinthians, we need to put ourselves in the shoes of the recipients, don't we? Yeah, we do. if you look at 1 Corinthians, I mean, they're getting blasted all over the place. All right, they weren't necessarily your model church. But if we're going to read that book, that letter, we need to put ourselves in their shoes to understand exactly what's Paul saying. Why does Paul write about this? (laughs) Like, for example, when he writes about unity, one of the issues that was brought up. When he writes about sexual sin, how do you handle that in the body? When he writes about spiritual gifts... Hey, listen, and all these subjects aren't comfortable, are they? When he writes about divorce in chapter 7, I mean, nobody's going, yeah, I really want to study that. But it's imperative that we understand what Paul's saying to that group originally so that we can understand it and so that we can apply it. So when we're coming to the book of 2 Timothy, here's a guy who's at the end of his life, but he's not writing from the Hilton or Marriott, He's not comfortable at all. Most theologians believe that he wrote from the Mamertine prison. It was referred to by many as the house of darkness. Now, there's a reason for that. The reason they call it that is because there was just one hole... Where a prisoner was literally lowered into that hole. Down into the space that they would occupy. Um, Which, I think, yeah I do. I have the dimensions of that for you, written down for you. So they're in a room that's six and a half feet high. That would benefit me because I'm not six and a half feet high. Brent, that'd be rough for you. 30 feet long, 22 feet wide. The room or dungeon as it was referred to was located within a sewer system. That's disgusting. Below the city and could only be reached by being lowered through a hole in the floor. The hole was believed to be the only access to air and light. That's what Swindoll writes in Insight for Living. So this man is riding from a putrid place. You know what amazes me when I read through the description of this place, this dungeon, this dark, cold place. You say, "How do you know it was cold? You know what Paul says in chapter four? "Bring my cloak." Why? He's cold. So you have a man who is the apostle, right? You're like, okay, well, if he's the apostle, he deserves to be at the Marriott. That's the way the culture thinks today. That's exact, absolutely the way the culture thinks today. Well, if I'm going to follow Christ, it's going to have to be in the best of settings. I would be the first to say, I'm not sure how I would manage that. I've just been to Belize. I've been to Guatemala. I've walked in a public restroom in Guatemala where there was about to the ankles in the bathroom, whatever you can imagine. And the stench was unbelievable. Now imagine this the Apostle Paul is there in this dungeon. He's cold, he's wet, he's tired, he's hungry. The air is not pleasant to breathe. No wonder he uses that word he used with Onesiphorus. Right? He's a breath of fresh air because he ain't breathing any. And you know what he's not doing? He's not complaining. That's amazing. Can can we just all agree on that? And it's amazing the way he starts verse 3. He says, I thank God. Are you doing any kind of thanksgiving when you're in that situation? You know what, guys? I was thinking about that. We're not in a dungeon, and we can't relate to that. But we're going through something in this country and around the world that we not, we're not sure about. And you know what we need to do? Trust God. I look at this and I go, I mean, right, if we're thinking just about that, we're going, well, Paul, he deserved the Hilton and the Marriott. And the dude sold out. And you know what he got? Beatings beyond number. You know what he got? A dungeon where it was cold and dark and it stunk. And you know what's incredible? That the Lord put on his heart to write this letter to this man. You know why? His last, listen, it was that important to the Apostle Paul. It was that important. Because he wasn't serving himself, he was serving the Master. (laughs) I asked myself, how in the world would I handle something like that? I read a story. I'll close with this. I read a story um, just this last week. To protect the country, I'll just tell it this way. There's a group of Christians. If I remember correctly, it was six total, including the pastor. Okay, six total, including the pastor. And they were having their services just like they did every week. And then all of a sudden, after the service is over, things change. There's these guerrilla warfare guys that come in. They take the pastor and five other members out back. And they shoot them one at a time. I read another story where a pastor was preaching. And before he started preaching, he had these kids that he would call up every week. And the message went something like this to the kids. These are just kids. Don't turn away from Jesus Christ. He said it three or four times. No matter what happens to your parents, don't turn away from Jesus Christ. The message was, don't turn away from Christ over and over and over again. Then the pastor preached the sermon. At the end of the service, again, there's... Terrorists, basically, that come into the church, and all they have to defend themselves are hymnals that they haven't happened to have, and 40 people are shot. I read that story, I'm like, it's awful that 40 people got shot. But it's amazing the lesson the pastor gave to those kids. No matter what happens, don't turn away from Jesus Christ. And guys, I'm, I'm looking at what the church, the condition of the church today, and I'm like taking this letter from Paul and I'm going, yeah, we need to have an urgency about us. An urgency to pass on our faith. An urgency to protect the gospel. There just needs to be a sense of urgency. Just like was pointed out earlier There's apathy today. There needs to be urgency today. And young people, listen to me. We love you. And we are so glad you're here. And our responsibility is to invest in you. But if if someone is not doing that, right right now, you need to come and see me, and we're going to find somebody to do that. It's that important. Because listen, you know what colleges and universities are committed to? Investing in young people. (laughs) <laughs> Do we really want that kind of message getting to our young people? No. Well, I was supposed to go through this whole introduction today, but that did not happen. Anybody bring five loaves and two fish? I can't multiply them, but we could eat. Well, let's pray. And we'll close for today, all right? Lord, i mean, super, super Excited about going through this book. I thank you for just how your spirit led to that. Just through the missions conference. Even before um, that, I was thinking 2 Timothy, because that's where I thought you were leading me. And then when the conference happened, I'm like, yes, that's exactly what you want me to do. Lord, I just pray that you would um, help us. Those of us that um, have been believers a while, matured in the faith. Help us to be willing to pass on truth, the truth, to someone that's younger in the faith, to invest in that person. Um, as I said, colleges and universities, they're, they're investing, and they're influencing a lot of minds. The great part, Lord, about what we're studying is it's your word. It's not something that... Um, the latest and greatest ideas is exactly what you want for us. And I pray we would take the message of um, passing the baton on seriously, that we would understand how that looks and that we would um, be willing to to pray about who would that person be that I would invest in, Um, beginning with our families and then moving out to the body. We just um, commit uh, the rest of the day to you, our time together. And then, Lord, as we have opportunities this week, I pray we'd be keenly aware of those opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Please sing with me.
5: the Lord of all the earth Would call to know my names Would care to feel my hurt Who am I That the bright and morning star Would choose to light the way For my ever-wandering heart Not because of who I am But because of what you've done Not because of what I've done But because of who you are I am a flower quickly fading Here today and gone tomorrow a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind, still you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling, and you told me who I am. I am your. Who am I that the eyes that seen my sin Would look on me with love And watch me rise again? Who am I that the voice that calmed the sea Would call out through the rain Calm the storm in me. It's not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading. Here today and gone tomorrow A wave tossed in the ocean A vapor in the wind Still you hear me when I'm calling Lord you catch me when I'm falling And you told me who I am I am your. I am yours, I am yours.